I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and today we have a Super Tuesday version of Fifth Emission. Have you voted yet? Well, if you haven't, go do it. We have a voter guide for you right now up on sfchronicle.com. It will help you make all the important decisions. And listening to this podcast will also help. I'm here with the stars of our political reporting department, John Wildermuth and Joe Garofoli. Joe is the host of It's All Political, and we're also pushing this podcast there today. So welcome to all of Joe's regular listeners. After the polls close, you can also find local and national interactive results on sfchronicle.com. So, gentlemen, let's start with a a very basic question. Why is Super Tuesday so super? Just it's strictly numbers. I mean, we have 14 states and I believe the Americans, Samoa and uh, Democrats abroad all voting tomorrow. And if... I remember correctly, that's about one-third of the uh, entire number of uh, delegates that are needed to, uh, that are going to be out there tomorrow. So there's just a lot of places voting all at once. So welcome to Super Tuesday. Welcome to Super Tuesday. So we're going to air this on Tuesday. So you're actually voting today, but we're recording this on, on Monday. So yes, it's tomorrow, but in real life on this podcast, it's going to be voting today. So Joe, why is Super and Tuesday important for the presidential campaigns? Is anything actually going to get decided today? It will not get decided. In fact, the, the picture is maybe even more muddled because of what's happened over the last 72 hours. We've lost three presidential candidates uh, in, since Saturday. They we keep lost, dropping like flies. They are. We lost Tom Steyer. We lost Amy Klobuchar. We lost Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg and uh, Klobuchar are going to endorse or have endorsed yeah, by the, maybe by, have endorsed <laughs> by the by the to. time yeah are expected to endorse <laughs> Joe Biden and we don't know if their followers will follow them to Joe Biden um, in California uh, there's no guarantee of that there was a poll the the Public Policy Institute poll a couple of weeks ago said that the second choice of uh, of voters here was Elizabeth Warren with 22 percent so we don't know where those folks are going to go That's what it really does though is that. Uh, the number you have to remember when you look at all the results on Tuesday is 15% because that's what the percentage of the vote in every single state that a candidate has to get to receive any delegates. In California, uh, a candidate would have to receive 15% statewide to get any part of the statewide vote. And in each individual congressional district where the votes are also counted, again, it's 15%. So with Buttigieg and uh, Klobuchar out, it makes it much more likely uh, that a Bloomberg and a uh, Biden could reach that 15% and at least get some of the statewide vote in California. And we will be tracking that on sfchronicle.com by congressional district. That is so confusing. I don't, I mean, I, I think probably 99.9% of Americans do not understand <laughs> the superdelegate. And I put myself firmly in that camp. Amy Klobuchar and Buttigieg, oh, he's, and he's not going to be president now. I don't have to remember <laughs> how to, to just call him pronounce Pete. his name for a while. Pete. Pete. Pete, Mayor Pete. Citizen Pete. What, what, do, what does their dropping out of the race mean for people who maybe aren't turned on by the more progressive wings of the party? Fewer choices. I mean, uh, one of the things that uh, was concerning people on the more moderate end is that uh, the people that didn't like Bernie and you know, maybe thought that uh, Elizabeth Warren was too progressive. They were splitting their votes out among a lot of people. Buttigieg, uh, Biden, uh, Mayor Pete, and uh, Bloomberg, and even Steyer. So what they're doing with, with three people out now, all those moderate votes 
pretty much, or at least uh, the moderate people are hoping, they all converge on one or maybe two candidates, which makes it a little easier to go against Bernie. So if I voted for Klobuchar or Steyer or Buttigieg and uh, my vote is already in the mail, can I take it back now that they aren't in the race anymore? Too bad for you. Uh, <laughs> actually, <was> hypothetical. <laughs> hypothetical. Well, what it is, the rule is, is that once the vote is cast, it's gone forever. You don't have a choice. And uh, the definition of casting a vote with uh, mail ballots is put it in the mailbox or drop it off at the polls. However, if you have filled out your ballot, but you haven't dropped it off, you haven't put it in the mail, you haven't turned it in, but you have it in your hand, you can go to a polling place and say, I want a different ballot. And here's this one. Give me one and vote for a candidate that's actually in the race. It seemed to me before South Carolina, which Biden won pretty decisively, that he was sort of a non-entity in this discussion anymore. Was that premature or does this put a lot of wind in his sails? I That's one of the things we're going to be watching tomorrow because a lot of the Biden win in South Carolina, first of all, he, he was expected to win that for months. And a lot of it was uh, he got the last minute push and 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 was able to win big because he got an endorsement from Congressman James Clyburn. He's the number three guy in the House and very influential in the state. Uh, so we don't know if that's kind of a South Carolina one-off thing or or what will happen after that. Uh, but it has triggered a lot of the, uh, the, the establishment, uh, if you will, Democrats to line up behind Biden. Well, the one thing, too, is that we're talking, we've had exactly four state primaries or caucuses right now. That's not a lot. And the first two, Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire primary, those two states don't resemble the rest of the United States very much. They have very few minority voters. They have very few voters, period. They're heavily white, very rural. That's not the way the Democratic Party looks. So when you move to like Nevada, which uh, Bernie Sanders won significantly, and when you move to South Carolina, which is the first state that has a huge black population, which is an important uh, demographic in the Democratic Party, it changes everything. So it, from now on, it's going to look a little different. When you have these 14 states, they overall look a lot like the United States of America. What Can Bernie lock it up, lock up the nomination on Super Tuesday? No, he can't lock it up, but he can get a significant number of votes, and a lot of them will come from California. Uh, he is, uh, the polls show that he's way out ahead here. Uh, he's done that largely in the strength of his organizing in the Latino community. He's way out ahead among Latino voters. So he could rack up a lot of delegates here. Not Probably not as many as he would have a few days ago, though, because before all these folks start dropping out of the race and uh, folks are consolidating behind uh, Biden. We'll see, well, that's one thing we're going to be watching. It, does it really matter that much? Because don't most people vote by mail now? I know you've written a lot, John, about um, the confusing decline to state voters versus wanting to vote in the Democratic primary. How much is that going to play into the vote? Well, I think the interesting part you saw is that a lot of first, about 75 percent of California uh, registered California voters received a mail ballot this year. And that's going to go up in the future as more states, more uh, counties go to mail ballots. But people have been very, very slow to turn them in. And th what we saw today and saw on Saturday is exactly the reason why. One, people weren't too sure who they were going to vote for. And also, they wanted to make sure that the person they were going to vote for was actually 
going to be running for office. So uh, you're going to see a lot of people with mail ballots in their hands showing up at the polls and saying, here. And that's uh, one reason it's going to take a heck of a long time before we know who won how many delegates in California. So explain again, like, is it possible for a candidate to get 50 percent of the vote tomorrow and not get 50 percent of California's delegates? Sure. Um, It. uh, okay, we're going to we're going to try this kind kind of quick. (laughs) Everybody who collects 15 percent of the ballots, either statewide or in the county, in in an individual congressional district, gets that percentage of of the delegates. So yeah, everybody grabs it like that. But let's just say that uh, you collect a ton of uh, votes in Los Angeles County, you know, and just overwhelm Los Angeles County and the congressional districts there. Well, that's only so many congressional districts. If you get hammered in the Central Valley and hammered in the Bay Area, you know, and the other person has those votes spread out, they might end up picking up more delegates than somebody who showed a lot of strength in just one congressional district or in special part of the state. How long will it be before we know who has won delegates in California, do you think? <laughs> the Secretary of State the other day said weeks. Uh, Excellent. So, uh, right? Well, what he said, he had a uh, phone telephone press conference with reporters, and he was mainly talking to reporters from the East Coast and everything, <laughs> three hours uh, ahead of us, and he essentially was telling them, all you guys are going to be calling me saying, where's the results? Who won? Don't worry about it. It's not going to happen. And just talk to anybody who's followed elections in California, and they'll tell you just how long it took. And we'll take. Let's talk about Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he decided to skip New Hampshire and Iowa, which uh, was a, a politically risky or at least untested, as you said, Joe, a, a, a way of going about things. He seemed to have a very bad debate performance in the initial one that, um, at least from the media coverage, seemed to take some wind out of his sails. What are his prospects in California, do you think? Uh, poor and, 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 and dropping. Uh, he, he was registering about 12% in the polls here. And this is after spending $78 million worth of digital and TV advertising in California alone. Um, for perspective, that's, you know, multiple times more than like almost 78 times more than Joe Biden has here in the state. Um, so, uh, he's, um, but he's, you know, he's running in the top three in Texas and in North Carolina and in some of the Southern states that are holding primaries. So he, the thing is the question we're going to be watching, what we're going to be watching for is how much has he taken off of Biden? Cause that's who he's siphoning votes from. And can is is Bloomberg the candidate as uh, as good as Bloomberg the campaign? Because his campaign is act his TV commercials are pretty good, but on the stump, not only that that first debate performance was awful, and the second debate performance was you know uh, only slightly less than awful. I mean, it's only because the first one was so bad that the second one wasn't so bad. Well, he's, low expectations. He's yeah. not a particularly likable fellow. He doesn't come across as you know. Oh, huggy, touchy feely, or anything else like that. But I think the when we talk about the Bloomberg campaign, we're going into totally unknown territory. Right. I mean, this is a guy who spent, I think it was like four hundred million dollars already Uh-oh. in in advertising and going up. You can't turn on the television without seeing his ads. You can't go online without seeing his ads. So people that don't follow closely, 
I mean, they come up and they start looking at the who's on the ballot and said, well, I've seen this Bloomberg guy and he seems like a wonderful person. We're going to see if, you know, that much money can really swing a campaign. Has it ever worked that way in the past? No one's ever done this uh, before. We've had Rudy Giuliani skipped a whole bunch of primaries in the Republican primary in 2008, but he didn't have the this kind of money to spend all over the place. I mean, Bloomberg has spent a ton of money in the Super Tuesday states, and and Biden uh, was has been caught kind of uh, he, he almost like he didn't expect a success in South Carolina because he's really not, hasn't spent that much in the in the 14 Super Tuesday states. Yeah, it's a uh... You know, the amount of money is just incredible. I mean, it's, you know, hard to comprehend what that sort of money. I mean, there's really you're running out of places to spend it uh, in the primary election like that. And it's going to be interesting to see if this what this does. Is there anybody else that you think might be the um, uh, the next likely candidate to drop out after Super Tuesday? Well, the I. I don't think that Elizabeth Warren says that she's in it until the convention. And even though she may not uh, rack up a lot of wins tomorrow or, or really any wins, she's in danger of losing her home state of Massachusetts to Bernie Sanders. Um, she is going to try and chug on. But if she loses her home state and doesn't do too well, the money's going to dry up and she the decision may be made for her. And there's the, also the question of Bloomberg. He says he's in it forever and certainly he's got enough money that he doesn't have to worry about that. But if he doesn't do anything on the Super Tuesday states, you know, how much is he willing to throw good money after bad? Uh, all these people that dropped out, starting with Kamala Harris, said they didn't see a path to winning the race. If that path isn't there, there's just really no reason to stay in. And that's something that Bloomberg's going to have to look at. But Bloomberg has uh, an ulterior motive, too. His, uh, he also did not want Bernie Sanders to be the nominee because he really doesn't want Trump to win. Again, so he feels if, if, as Bernie is a weaker candidate than Biden or, of course, himself. Um, so if if Biden has a strong showing tomorrow, maybe that'll nudge him a little bit to saying, OK, maybe this guy can handle it. I'm speaking with political writers Joe Garifoli and John Wildermuth. We'll be right back after this. Let's talk about this idea that only a certain candidate can defeat Trump. Is that a false narrative that's being spread in this campaign? It depends who you talk to, really. I mean, uh, certainly uh, Donald Trump is in a very strong situation. I mean, typically uh, a president that comes in with an economy doing as well as it is now is three quarters of the way to being reelected, saying, well, you know, the old Ronald Reagan question, you're doing better now than you did, you know, four years ago. And if people answer yes, it's hard to uh, hard to get rid of that president. However, those other presidents weren't Donald Trump, who manages to convince people that they absolutely don't like him, even if, you know, the economy was twice as good as it is today. So, yeah, he can be beat, but he's not going to roll over. The question about electability is just is has been what this campaign's been all about. And some of it has been BS. It's uh, electability is uh, there, there's we've reported on this uh, study and had people on our podcast that that have talked about how uh, white men do not have an electoral uh, an electability advantage over anyone else uh, based on all the races that have run in, uh, in 2018. Um, at the same time, look who's left in this race. We have four white people in their 70s are left. That's that's the candidates going forward. We've we've totally 
uh, we've gone from the most diverse field of candidates to a one that's really not reflective of America. And if you want to talk about electability, just look at 2016. There wasn't <laughs> anybody you'd run across that thought Trump was electable except Donald Trump and yeah. look who's president. But it's not just about gender or or race in this regard. I think it's also in the Democratic Party about how far left is the party going to go? And and this idea of somebody who like embraces the word socialism is that person who speaks fondly of some things that Fidel Castro has done, did, is that person really going to hold up a nationwide vote? Well, that's the source of the, the big freak out of the party right now. I, I talked to Harley Ruda, who is a congressman uh, from Orange County. He's one of those uh, first term Democrats who flipped a long, uh, long time Republican seat. And he's like, I'm I, I, Bernie Sanders at the top of the ticket is bad news for me. I, he's representing a majority Republican district that he's concerned about winning again. And he said that's all he would hear about would be, are, are you are you with Bernie on this? Are you with Bernie on that? The campaign would be focused on that. So that's there's a lot of um, members of Congress who are concerned. There were 40 members of Congress, 41, I think, who were represented um, uh, districts that Trump won in 2016, but they won. Democrats won those districts in, uh, in in 2018. And those are the people who are really concerned. And many of those districts, especially the ones in California and down in Southern California, are suburban districts with a well-educated electorate, people that have money, people that uh, are, you know, the suburban moms and everything like that. It is not a hotbed of, you know, progressive politics or socialism. And they're going to look at that, and Donald Trump is going to be banging Bernie Sanders over the head with every crazy thing he's ever said from the time he was 21 years old. And they're going to say, wow, is this a guy that I want to run? Because my life's pretty good right now. I don't especially want somebody who says, we need a revolution to change everything. But don't you think they'll be batting Trump's head over every crazy thing that he's said as president? I mean, there they are already have, though. And, you know, the question is, you know, how much of that stuff is already out there and how much has that already been weighed and such like that? Uh, socialism is a really loaded word. Maybe not so much in California or in the, the coasts, but in the middle part of the country, the part that the Democrats need to win to take uh, take the presidency back. It is a very, very scary word for a lot of people, especially older voters. Yeah, generationally, no. Younger voters, younger than 40, uh, even uh, younger than people who didn't grow up during the Cold War. Like, well, who cares? That, I mean, I, that doesn't affect me. Um, so that's, I mean, that's one thing we're going to hear. You're right. Trump has been vetted on all this stuff. The man's been impeached and his, and his numbers have gone up. What do you think about the argument that the burners, uh, if if they if their man does not make it, it will be yet another example of the establishment pushing down activists and pushing down a young, diverse movement of people, and they will just say, "Screw it, we want no part of this. The revolution will be delayed for four more years." Right. I asked Bernie about this when I interviewed him yesterday uh, or Sunday in um, when he was here in San Jose. And he and he said there will be a very he said a very sour feeling among Democrats. And I said, "Will your people walk?" And he said, "It won't be just my people; it will be a lot of people." And you know, you see Trump egging this on. He said, "This is this system." They're trying rigged. to steal it from Bernie. Trying to steal it from Bernie. It's a rigged system against Bernie. And uh, that's that's going. And if and if those folks do walk, that's a that's a decent chunk of the Republic or the Democratic vote. 
Is it possible, though, that the the burners, that there are more out there than than the moderates think there are, and that by putting forward an extremely progressive candidate, that it will activate young people and people of color, people who didn't necessarily come out for Hillary Clinton. That's absolutely Bernie's argument. He's saying that, you know, what? yeah, you can talk about electability, but my electability is I'm going to bring out a whole new demographic, a whole new bunch of people that never showed up before, and they're going to come out and they're going to vote for me and they're going to vote for progressive Democrats and we're going to take over the country. The problem is, at least in the early primaries, that hasn't been seen. He's not bringing out younger voters. He's bringing out more of the traditional Democrats. And that's a good thing. But, uh, you know, the question is, are there numbers? Because at the end of the day, you know, you have to have the numbers to get elected. And how many, what's, is the people who are freaked out about Bernie outweighing the people he's bringing into the party? Because he's doing, he is bringing in more Latino voters. That's, he's done great organizing there. But he's, you know, among black voters, he's still not uh, well, doing remember as well, that, but he's doing, and he's, and generationally he brings. Well, remember too, that uh, the Latino vote is a very young vote. I mm-hmm. mean, the demographic for Latinos skews very young, far younger than black voters and everything. So when you say that Bernie's bringing in Latinos, well, he's bringing in young people, including Latinos. And that's, uh, that's something, but getting them out to actually vote is where it's always been a problem. Younger voters don't vote as religiously or as typically as older voters do. That's seen in every election. So he's going to have to change that and bring those younger voters, bring those occasional voters, bring those first-time voters out to the polls. There are some people who are saying that we may have the first contested, undecided convention in, I don't know, when was the last convention? 1952, I think. Yeah, I believe it was 52. My parents were not even alive when we had the last (laughs) contested convention. Is this good for the Democratic Party because it's more excitement, more attention, or is it really bad? Okay. (laughs) It'll be be fabulous to be there and to report on it. I'm looking forward to it myself. It's going to be great, great for us, but... But no, Good it's going to be, Good yeah, yeah, copy. no, it's going to be uh, both the story as we always say, but, but it's, um, no, it's gonna be chaos and that's what people are going to see. And then if, if someone gets hosed or if there's the impression someone gets hosed on this, that's a bad luck for the Chicago, party. Chicago, 1968, people yeah. out on well, the that streets. that was people literally being hosed. Yes. <laughs> well, yes, but people out in the streets. No, it's, that's absolutely the last thing the Democrats want. They want this settled. Everybody always hopes for a nice, boring convention. <laughs> That works wonderfully as far as the parties are concerned. They do their stuff. They have their, you know, program demonstrations and everybody walks out singing Kumbaya, let's get the other guy. That wouldn't be that way if it goes to a uh, more than uh, a single ballot on the convention floor. Are we going to learn anything about the swing states today in Super Tuesday? There's a couple swing states that we'll, be, we'll have uh, Minnesota's on the ballot uh, tomorrow. They vote, but and that's kind of a weird one because Klobuchar was the sort of the the, the favorite daughter, but now she's out. Uh, Colorado's voting, North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia. So there will be several that are out there, and we'll see, uh, you know, which which uh, Democrat road tests the best. In but those the states. the problem in a swing state is you're just talking about Democrats here yeah. for the most part. I mean, you know, you can look at the numbers. And see how many people are voting for the Republican side. But, you know, Republicans don't have a lot of reason to show up to, uh, on Tuesday. I mean, everybody knows who their candidate's going to be. So, and a lot of Republicans of the uh, states have canceled their primary uh, because of, uh, you know, they don't want, they want anybody to challenge the president. What changes might we see in 2000, 
or two, 2024, I don't even know what year it is, 2024 as a result of this primary season. And I'm thinking either in changes to the caucus system or also the Democrats seem to have had a long time to get their stuff together and still couldn't pull out some super compelling candidate that takes the day. I think the caucuses are dead. I mean, I think that they've outlived their use. I mean, yeah, there's something really nice about uh, all the neighbors getting together and, you know, standing in an auditorium and thrashing it out. But boy, it just doesn't really fit the type of digital world we're in right now. So I will. I think that you're probably going to see a real push by the Democratic Party to pretty much end the caucuses. And I think there's only like three this year, aren't there? Three or four? Uh, yeah, I don't know how many there are. There's at least at least that many. But um, but there's and we're also going to say farewell to Iowa as the first state. I think uh, a combination of uh, being sort of a such a homogenous state and the way they botched the uh, the caucuses, I think they uh, they have lost their role as the leadoff state. Any any thoughts about the actual Democratic Party and how it might go about? It, it seems incredibly fractured. It, you, the The Republican Party might have been that fractured, but they all got in line, and Democrats don't seem to. Remember the old line by Will Rogers decades ago? Yes. I'm, I'm not, not a, a member <laughs> of any organized party. I'm a Democrat. It hasn't changed much, really. And what you said about uh, not getting their act together and finding a candidate everybody can agree on. That's kind of the way it's designed right now. Uh, the first thing the Democrats did a number of years ago is they eliminated the winner-take-all primary. A winner-take-all primary meant that if somebody won California and Texas on Tuesday, game over. I mean, there's just not enough ways to catch up like that. But instead, they voted, opted for a system where everybody gets a chance, everybody gets some delegates, and it goes on and on for typically the longest time. And there's still fears, uh, going back to the convention, that the superdelegates, these are the people who are elected, largely elected officials from around the country, if they're deadlocked, the candidates are deadlocked in the first round of voting at the convention, then the superdelegates get to vote. And if they come in and bigfoot the, uh, their, the result and give it to a more establishment candidate, then uh, you might see even more changes. Now you have to, to explain what superdelegates are. Who are superdelegates? Are, are your Gavin Newsom's, your Nancy Pelosi's, the elected officials from around the country? And there's about of, 700 of them, I think. Yeah. 700 and change. So and they can vote for whomever they want. They they are not tethered to anyone. And up until this year, they were uh, regular delegates. They can vote could vote for anyone. Uh, Bernie Sanders four years ago screamed bloody murder about that. How dare these guys be able to vote? And when they decided to set up the uh, new rules for the convention, his people forced through an effort, said superdelegates can vote, but they can't vote on the first ballot. Only the people that are elected by the different, uh, by the different states can vote. Well, if, and they, that, they thought it was real easy because, hey, we've never had a second ballot, not for decades. Now it looks very, very likely that there could be a second, uh, a second ballot, and that brings the superdelegates right back in. Anything else we should be looking at today? Again, I think that, uh, you know, you want to look and see if uh, if the numbers are going to Biden. Right now, uh, if the moderates are all coalescing around him, uh, you're still going to see tons of votes in California, certainly, for uh, Buttigieg and, uh, and uh, Amy Klobuchar <clears throat> because people have sent their ballots in already. But when, if those, I get, what is he, it's about 11% is what the, some of the numbers I saw for... for uh, 
for Biden in California. And, oh, yeah. He was in actually in single digits. In yeah, 11, yeah, 11 or 12 yeah. percent. If they coalesce around Biden, you're going to see that number probably get up to around oh, 16, 17, something certainly over 15 percent. And as far as he's concerned, that would be at least somewhat of a victory for him. And also to look at turnout. Uh, is, has turnout increasing in all these states, particularly those uh, battleground states, Colorado, North Carolina, Virginia? Um, that's what Democrats, they want to see turnout and they want to see it across the board and across all demographics because, as we said, it's, we're, people are voting for four white people in their 70s. And one last thing, if you want to look beyond California, keep an eye on Texas because uh, the Democrats are hoping that they can bring out people and actually maybe put that state in play. It would be a tough uh, a tough call, but they're going to take a shot at it. Wouldn't that be something if Texas was in play? Oh, my God. It, the, the thing that helps uh, Democrats in Texas is a profound animosity towards Donald Trump. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll see you guys uh, very late into the night on Super Tuesday, and we'll do this again. We'll okay. be drinking beer again. Didn't we do that one year? Yeah. After the election? Uh, okay. I'll go buy beer tonight. <laughs> There's nothing like celebrating election night. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you to Joe Garofoli and John Wildermuth for being with me today. Thank you to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. Fifth Emission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.